Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. I am really looking forward to sharing today's guest, Kate Granbois. Kate is a duly certified SLP and BCBA, and she specializes in augmentative and alternative communication, also known as AAC. I love how Kate is able to share evidence-based best practices in a way that is not only easy to understand, but is functional in a busy classroom. In our interview, she describes communication as messy, and that is such an accurate phrase. And I think it can get a little bit overwhelming when it comes to some types of AAC and what that system looks like within the messy classroom or the messy cafeteria. So in today's interview, Kate breaks it all down. We go through kind of the basics of what AAC is, the different types, and then we dive into how to collaborate with SLPs, how to train your staff, and how to embed the system in your classroom to really lead to meaningful communication for your learner. Kate is the co-founder and owner of SLP Nerdcast, a continuing education platform for SLPs. I'll be linking her platform as well as some of the references she shares in the interview in the show notes. If you are interested in more on this topic, I highly recommend you head over to a website, her website. She has a wealth of knowledge there. There are courses, there are podcast episodes, there are free downloads. If you right now are working with clients who have AAC devices or you have students with AAC systems and you're not feeling very confident 
confident in your skills or you're ready to learn more, definitely head over to Kate's website and you'll be blown away. Also, Kate will be joining us at the Autism Connection Conference on March 12th. This conference is being hosted by myself and Rosemary Griffin from ABA Speech. We are so excited to bring this live virtual event to you. There are five speakers. Kate is one of them. I personally am really excited to learn from everyone. Everyone's sessions sound so good. I have a link to the conference in the show notes. All the information is there. We still have early bird pricing available. It's a Saturday, so you don't need a sub. It is all sharing the best evidence-based practices for engaging your students with autism. So truly a conference designed specifically for you. So if you have any questions on that, please let me know. But without further ado, let's jump into Kate's interview. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am really excited to talk about AAC today. We have not done an episode on this in quite a while, and I think it's something that teachers and parents and clinicians really need to kind of be on the same page with. So I'm excited for you to bring your expertise on this for us today. Well, I'm I'm hoping that I can bring all the expertise that you're looking for. I'm excited. I'm excited to share. It's a passion of mine. So it's really great to be here. Great. Let's kind of like majorly rewind and go back to like the most kind of the basics here. For sure. anyone that's kind of new to special ed or are new in this community, what what is AAC? And what types of learners is it helpful for? Sure. So AAC stands for it's an acronym. It stands for Augmentative Alternative Communication, and it is essentially strategies that improve communication for individuals who are either non-vocal, meaning they can't produce sound with their larynx, for individuals who are non-speaking, which means that they can produce sound with their larynx, but they're unable to produce words, or for individuals who are minimally speaking. So individuals who can produce sound, they can produce some speech, but their natural speech does not meet their needs for functional communication. Um, The term AAC, as I mentioned, augmentative alternative communication, there are two big words in there, augmentative (laughs) and alternative. Um, And it's really, those two words are included to signal that it's for people who need a system that augments their current communication In other words, they have a a communication system, maybe they have some functional speech, and they're using something additional to augment what they already have, or they are not capable of natural speech, and therefore they have something that's alternative. So it's an acronym. Um, It has those two big fancy words in there, but that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Another acronym for like the special ed soup that we all have, right? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. What are some AA system, AAC systems, oh my gosh, I'm even messing up now, AAC systems that we might be familiar with already that maybe we didn't know those fancy words were attached to? Sure. So actually we use, um, we're very familiar as a society for some components of AAC. So for example, sign language is an AAC system. AAC can be broken into two general categories. So there are, um, there's a category called unaided AAC, which is a system where you don't need anything external to your body. So you're augmenting or using alternative communication using sign language or gesture, and you don't need any extra thing or device. Um, I think the most common in in the special education world, one of the most common technologies is an iPad, and that would be considered an aided technology, meaning it's something, you need something additional or external to your body to effectively communicate. That can be paper-based boards, that can be 
um, devices that require a battery, like the the old easy buttons from Staples, right? You press the button and it says something for you. Or it could be a high-tech device, like I mentioned, an iPad or a a device funded by Medicaid or through insurance, which tend to be much more um, robust and sometimes larger than an iPad, although iPads now can be funded through insurance. But that's a whole other soapbox that I won't get <laughs> onto. Um, but to answer your question, you know, we see augmentative alternative communication strategies often without really thinking of them as this additional tool. That's a great point because I think, you know, a lot of times my brain goes to like, you know, those aided systems that you mentioned, mm-hmm. like an iPad or a device or a textbook or something like that. But there's so many other strategies that are under this umbrella of AAC. Mm-hmm. Yes, there definitely are. And, you know, when we go through an AAC evaluation, not that we're really going to get into that into depth today, but one of the things we always want to think about with AAC evaluation or intervention is making sure that the system is well matched to the user. Um, And we also want to keep in mind that we communicate on a continuum as human beings. So for me, sometimes I talk, sometimes I text, sometimes I email. And individuals who are minimally speaking or non-speaking or who need AAC also have a continuum. So there may be times where they use their iPad. There may be times where they have light text supports or paper-based supports at their desk or somewhere in the classroom. And there may be other moments where they are using sign or gestures or other unaided strategies. So there's really a wide spectrum um, and different environments and different communication partners may be well-matched to different components along that continuum. That's a great point because we always kind of want to have those backups. Like, you know, if the device is dead or if we forgot something at home. Exactly. kind of have options seems like it would be advantageous to the learner. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, I'm not sure if we're going to get into this too much today, but communication is a basic human right. Um, ASHA, the American Speech and Hearing Association, has a document called the Communication Bill of Rights. If anybody wants to look it up, I'm happy to provide a reference for that. (laughs) But it does list... Um, I think about 15 points that describes how communication is a fundamental basic human right. And for individuals who don't have functional speech, their augmentative alternative communication system, their AAC device is access to that basic human right. So we always want to make sure if the battery is dead or if the device got left unplugged all night and or they got left at home or thrown in the pool or whatever, you know, life happens. We always want to make sure that there are those backup systems so that someone can access that basic human right to communicate. Yes, yes. I always, I feel like within the world, especially like those high-tech devices, like for some reason, logistics rule the world, like mm-hmm. chargers and who's who's bringing it home when and where the charger lives because for some reason, there's only like one charger that fits certain ones and mm-hmm. it's probably better now, but I'm thinking like 10 years ago. It's not better. It- it's always something. It's always <laughs> <Right>? something. <laughs> So yeah, it's, you know, you get into those points where then the device is not available. And what suggestions do you have to kind of take a quick detour for especially teachers in that like self-contained space on how to have and collaborate with their SLPs on backup, you know, options for those kids? That's a really great question. Um, And I think it touches on a couple of different important key points, one of which is collaboration. So when you're working with an AAC user, communication happens everywhere, right? We want our students to be communicating at home, in the gym, in the cafeteria, in the classroom, and they're going to interact with a variety of different communication partners throughout their day, their peers, et cetera. Making sure that we collaborate with other professionals and families 
is a key component to making sure that AAC success happens in a variety of places throughout the school building and at home. This is a really big challenge because I don't know about you, but I don't know a lot of school SLPs or, or special education teachers or general education tutor, teachers who have time to burn in their day, right? <laughs> so collaborating and getting that effective, um, give and t- efficient and effective give and take between professionals can be a really big challenge. One of the things that I definitely recommend is having some sort of shared document or permanent product. Depending on your school setting, this could be a shared Google Doc where you're, you know, in there really quickly throwing up notes. It could be a home log or a binder that travels with the student. It could be um, a piece of paper or a questionnaire that you're popping into your colleague's um, mailbox once a quarter or a couple of times a year to collect feedback on how AAC communication is going in different settings. And when you have a permanent product or a shared communication, it's a shared communication system for the collaborators, it's a really all, it's also a really nice way to communicate around some of those other backup systems or some of these other um, collaborative components like adding vocabulary or the device isn't charged today or this is where the charger lives so that someone mm-hmm. isn't running around the building trying to find everything. Having a shared implementation plan or operational competency document, which is another big fancy word. You don't have to call your documents that, but how it how the system is being operated is a really nice way to centralize information so that communication partners can collaborate and have easier access to the information they need throughout the day. Yes, I love that. A shared doc is so easy too. Everyone can access it at one time and then mm-hmm. you can add in the many, many, many people that have to be on it because once you start thinking about who's all involved in that student's day, that that list gets big pretty quickly. It, it, it does and it should, right? Because we want our students to be successful in a variety of environments. I always say if you have a great speech session or a great one-on-one or a, a moment in time where the AAC was beautiful, that's wonderful and something to be celebrated, but isn't necessarily representative of success if it's isolated in a vacuum to that one moment. We always want to be making sure that we're thinking about AAC dynamically because it is communication and communication is dynamic. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. I happen to know, I recently had a conversation with a researcher who put it this way. When she writes it up on the board, she puts a little A and a little A and a big C. The communication aspects are really the most important things and what we always want to be focusing on in education and intervention. Yes, yes. And it's not in that in that vacuum, like you said, and this kind of brings me to something I wanted to touch on. And you've said this already in many ways, which I'm happy you have, but let's kind of go through a hypothetical here of what maybe those more aided high tech AAC systems would look like in a classroom. So let's say, you know, Johnny has just got an iPad. He's using touch chat. What does the day to day with Johnny and his iPad look like? Because I'm sure you've seen many times, you know, it's like, oh, speech is here. Get your iPad out, Johnny. And it's like, well, wait, right. (laughs) Where was that iPad before I walked in? Right. So, I mean, I think anyone who is listening, if they have had that experience and we've all had that experience and we're not here to shame anyone, everybody who works in education and intervention (laughs) is, you know, has the best of intentions, but we want to think about the communication bill of rights. If Johnny does not have access to his AAC system, then he does not have then he does not have access to a basic human right to get his wants and needs known, to socially connect with other individuals, to be treated with dignity. There's a whole long list in that communication bill of rights document and I encourage everyone who's listening to read it and reflect on it and consider how important it is to have a device available and present. Um, so that's sort of the backdrop to me moving forward and answering your question. What does the day look like for Johnny moving forward from soup to nuts? So you want to think about logistical barriers within the classroom. So no environment is perfect. And this is sort of going back to what I was saying about having a great session in a, in a white sterile room. So you had a great speech session. That's great. That's not representative of messy communication. Classrooms are busy. Classrooms are noisy. Classrooms can be energetic. Um, Teachers are also busy. So every classroom environment is going to have a specific set of contingencies or a specific set of variables that might make it easier or more difficult to have that AAC device present. And I think identifying the barriers is a really important first step because it will allow you to think of functional doable and sustainable changes to your classroom environment to make sure that that device is available, that it is charged, and that everyone in the classroom is at least familiar enough with it to integrate it into the curriculum. Now, I say that really like it's a no big deal. This is a massive, massive, over. this is a big thing to overcome. These are really, really big um, goals for you to have in the classroom, particularly when you start talking about partner training 
But if you have the bandwidth and the capacity to first identify some of the barriers and solutions to those barriers, it can make a great foundation to build on integrating AAC into your classroom with a little bit more fluency and a little less friction. Um, So, and again, once you've identified those barriers and identified some of the solutions, documenting them in a shared document so that educational aides or paraprofessionals or specialists who are coming in and out of the classroom have a general understanding of how things are working in your classroom and can also contribute to help you solve the problem. The speech pathologist on the team is a great resource for this and should be one of the go-to individuals to help you collaborate and try and create solutions to some of those barriers so that AAC implementation doesn't feel not doable. If it feels not doable, then there are more conversations to be had about starting small and integrating AAC in such a way where it feels more manageable and sustainable. That was a very philosophical answer to your question. Oh, I loved it. I No, I'm like my, I have like a a few follow-up questions, but I I like, I like where your head's at on this. I, I like the idea of like listing out the barriers and not being surprised by when they show up. What's, can you give some examples of some common barriers within a classroom and what some like potential or example solutions are? Sure. So, I mean, depending on your student, you may find a variety of, a variety of barriers that are similar to one another, or you could find barriers that are all over the place. So for example, if you have a student who has a complex body and has some adaptive equipment, a wheelchair. There might be some logistical barriers related to physical positioning or placing the device somewhere in the classroom so that it can be easily accessed throughout the course of the classroom of classroom activity. Um, if you have an individual who doesn't have a complex body, but and is a direct selector, meaning they isolate their finger and they touch an iPad screen or, you know, they touch a screen on a, on a different device. Maybe your some of your barriers might be related to how the communication partners are using the device. So for example, if their paraprofessional is with the student, we want to make sure that the paraprofessional knows how to use the device, right? We want to make sure that the paraprofessional knows the where it should be placed on the desk or knows how to edit a page if a page needs to be edited. Um, we really want to make sure that regardless of the individual situation, and again, every student is unique and every AAC need is unique, we want to make sure that there, again, is, is less friction in terms of supporting the user because it's what we really want to focus on is the communication. And the more fluent we are with things like device programming or device placement or logistics around the classroom, the easier it is for us as, communi- as communication partners to focus on the connection and the teaching and the communication components. Yes, like getting over like almost like the nervousness. Like I feel like sometimes, and I've been this way too, like I've I've been nervous around the, the programming and things like that. And then I've seen staff do the same thing. And then it kind of overtakes the whole opportunity for yes. this connection and communication. Yes. So, and if you are listening and you feel that way, that's okay. That is allowed. <laughs> that is a very natural reaction. AAC can feel cumbersome. It is a slower means of communication. It does have barriers. Um, and those barriers have been well documented in the literature. And again, I'm, I'm happy to share some references for that. Um, there is one article um, by Janice Light, and I believe it was 1989, that laid out 
four areas to really think about for an AAC user, four specific areas that we can support AAC users. And those are linguistic, so language, social, how to engage socially using AAC, strategic, so how to strategically overcome some of these barriers, and operational, how to actually use the device itself and how turning up the volume, et cetera, et cetera. And we can, as communication partners, we can think about the ways in which we need to be more competent in AAC to alleviate some of that anxiety and make it feel more fluent and less, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. This looks so foreign to me. I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to touch it because I'm too (laughs) overwhelmed. Again, that's a very natural reaction and totally okay. And I think more exposure and practice with the logistics around a device can really sort of, can really help to um, ease some of those uncomfortable feelings and make interaction with the device more fluent to a point where you can focus on student engagement and connection and teaching. What's your advice for lunch and recess? That's a really great question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've been in a handful of cafeterias and I know we're in the middle of COVID. I'm not even sure if people are using cafeterias <laughs> And right. I, I, again, you know, my, my answer is, 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 is sort of similar to the classroom. I mean, every cafeterias are busy places. We want to balance the need for the individual to have access to their system with the needs of eating and drinking and messiness and chats. I mean, my daughter, she comes home with half of her lunch eaten because she's chit-chatting all of lunch. (laughs) You know, lunch is a really social time. Recess is a really social time. Those are not the times that we want our our students to be without their systems. That being said, there may be some accommodations in the environment that we need to make, or there may be some accommodations we need to make to the device or system itself. That might be using phrase-based buttons during lunch so that you can say more in a short period of time to have a social engagement with your with the buddy that's sitting next to you at the peanut table or wherever. Um, it might also be looking at that continuum of, of device options. So maybe high-tech isn't the best place in the cafeteria and light tech supports work better for that student. Or maybe it's vice versa because the cafeteria is louder and you really, the student would really benefit from the, from the speaker or from having a higher volume. So to call attention to peers or the lunch aid or whoever. And it's the same answer for recess. Recess, there tends to be more mobility. Um, You know, you're outside, there are, there's equipment to climb on and play on. Um, You do want to make sure that an individual has access to a system, but also balance that with the realistic expectations of that environment. There are a lot of AAC boards that are being put up in um, playgrounds nowadays. There are are playground AAC systems that you can get on vendor or signs that you can get through vendor websites. And again, it really comes down to making sure that they're used functionally. So thinking about communication partner training, making sure that the teachers and the aides and even the other students training other peers for how to use the system so that it can truly be integrated. And this is a big word, but into the culture of the playground. Every playground has a different culture. Every cohort of students has a different culture. And you really want to make sure that you're including the AAC system into that social culture. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Talk to me a little bit about how you would approach the idea of training peers on the AAC device or the AAC system. That's a that's another really great question. Um, like there's a lot of, a lot of things I want to cover here. I just keep going off. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> so one of the best ways to integrate um, – an AAC system into younger students or into really just peers in general is again to make it a norm, to make it just part of the classroom. Um, this can be done in a variety of ways. You can use embedded icons. So embedded icons are literally exactly what it sounds like, icons that are embedded in your classroom. So this is icons and symbols taped to the walls, taped to desks, taped around the environment so that the environment is modified to include AAC. Having the teacher model using AAC symbols, not only for the speaking, for the non-speaking or minimally speaking student or AAC user, having the symbols be embedded in other components of the curriculum. If you have a smart board and you're putting up a presentation or a Google, a set of Google slides, having the symbols of the individual system embedded in those Google slides for the whole class to see making sure that your paraprofessionals or if you're a teacher, making sure that you feel more comfortable modeling using a system. I've seen some very cool things in my in my travels. Um, I've seen teachers wearing Velcro aprons with, with symbols Velcroed to their body. Then they point to them while they're teaching. Um, I've seen uh, smart boards with the um, – the software displayed on the smart on the smart board so that the teacher is modeling using those symbols and icons throughout the course of the curriculum even if it's just for one student and when the other students in the class are exposed to it and see it like oh well this is just how school is today and it's much mm-hmm. easier to set the expectation or at least the hope that they will begin to use those symbols with the AAC user as well. Not only that, but it really says to the AAC user, hey, we're all doing this together. You know, this is part of the classroom culture. It's a very inclusive uh, mindset and perspective for your classroom. I love that suggestion. And yeah, really making it the norm and kind of globalizing it. Like this is what we're all doing. 
really kind of takes away any stigma I think there could be associated with it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked a lot about collaborating with you know, the peers and with other professionals and with the SLP. And obviously, like, as we've kind of talked about these different components of AAC, everything has to be super individualized and there's so many important considerations to make. So obviously the special ed teacher and SLP need to be working really closely together. And I think that idea of that, you know, kind of ongoing document is really great. What other suggestions you have for maintaining that collaboration piece throughout the week. So it's not just that speech session and throughout that whole year, how can those educators work better together? Sure. So my first suggestion is not always doable depending on your work setting. However, if you can, if you can make it work, it's a, it's a beautiful solution to this problem. Um, a lot of, and every, I, as I mentioned, every school has different, has different, has a different approach to this issue. If you can find a way to put indirect service into the IEP, which creates additional time for partner training and consultative time, this is a wonderful way to set time aside on a regular basis, once a month, once a week. Um, to make sure that the SLP and the teacher or the SLP and the physical education teacher or the SLP and the aide in the cafeteria who's working with these light supports or whatever that, you know, customized system is, it's a beautiful way not only to set aside time, but to prioritize some of that collaboration and partner training that needs to happen for AAC to be successful. Um, One of the Uh, models that a lot of speech pathologists use is what is very casually referred to as the three-to-one model, meaning that three weeks out of the month, you would have direct service, so a speech session, and one week out of the month, you would have indirect service. So that on an ongoing, continual basis, you're setting aside time to check in with the teacher and to make sure that that the consultation is happening and that collaboration is happening to support the student. So that's my first suggestion, and it's a very – it's my first, second, and third suggestion. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Well, because it builds in that time, you yes. know, right away. It overcomes one of the largest barriers to collaboration, which is time, exactly. It also, in a lot of settings, will create permanent product. So in a lot of the settings where I consult, um, I do primarily consulting in my practice, There, every consultation that I do creates a document and we will review exactly what was discussed, what the problems are, and what the suggestions are. It gives you an opportunity not only to follow a student from month to month or from week to week, but to make small tweaks and changes. And this is critically important because it prevents the situation where two or three months has gone by and you wait, oh, Johnny's doing what? That's not what (laughs) we're supposed to be doing. So you can really catch intervention drift. Um, or you can catch little issues as they come up to better support the classroom teacher or to better support other communication partners. So that's suggestions number one, two, and three. (laughs) Um, I think another suggestion, and this is more um, relevant to, I think, really BCBAs who, and I'm a BCBA as well, um, who tend to use different jargon. Jargon is a major, jargon and vocabulary are major barriers to communication collaboration. And that's true for speaking students as well, but it's particularly true for AAC where we have even more jargon, right? We have vocabulary sets. There are um, 
you know, different access settings within a system like dwell time and response time and, and making sure that everyone is on the same page and understands what these different vocabulary words mean can be a really easy way to overcome some of those collaboration hurdles. And I say BCBAs at the beginning because as a BCBA, we have so many unique names <laughs> for putting it lightly for communication. <laughs> I mean, we have a vocabulary that no one understands unless you've studied <laughs> behavior analysis. Um, so making sure to remove some of that jargon can be another um, really, really important piece of the puzzle. And you kind of already answered this question because I love the suggestion of using indirect um, minutes for working with paraprofessionals as well. I sometimes think of those indirect minutes only going to the teacher, but that was one of the examples you said working with, you know, the cafeteria para, it could absolutely be that. Mm-hmm. For a classroom teacher that has staff in their classroom, what suggestions do you have on involving them in this process of learning a new system or a new device? Um, so again, that's going to be really determined by your workplace setting and time restrictions. I think the more you can support paraprofessionals, the better, particularly if they're one-to-one or if they're assigned even in lower rate, large, slightly larger ratios, one-to-two. Um, the paraprofessionals in a classroom are going to be the individuals who are very closely monitoring and participating in AAC support. Um, so we do want to make sure that they feel competent and they feel confident in AAC intervention. Um, and again, going back to our previous, you know, earlier in this conversation, that can mean a lot of things. It can mean fluency with how to program a device. It can mean having a clear understanding of what the goal is for a lesson or how many times they're supposed to model a specific word. Permanent products or task analyses or step sheets or whatever it is we need to create to better support paraprofessionals can also be something to think about. A lot of times we think about creating visual supports for our students, but I use visual supports all the time as a full-grown adult, um, full-functioning adult. So creating visual supports for our collaborative partners and communication partners can be a really helpful tool. Yes, I know. I think like even something as simple as like, taking a video on your iPhone of you setting something up and then sending them that video. Like that would take two extra seconds, yes. but they now have that visual right there and it's so easy to do. Actually, that is an example, a great example of asynchronous indirect service. Ooh, <laughs> so, look so, at that. <laughs> yeah, so indirect service is a continuum, right? There is synchronous yeah. service and there's asynchronous service and using service delivery as a continuum across these different things, direct, indirect, and synchronous and asynchronous can be a really great way to support AEC users. Oh my gosh, Kate, I feel like I could just like chat with you about AEC forever, <laughs> but I'm not going to take up too much more of your time. Um, kind of final thoughts on, I just kind of keep thinking back to this like hypothetical, maybe this is like my former self too, but like young teachers, newer teachers to special ed that are just really intimidated and, and paraprofessionals and parents too, but that are really intimidated about this idea of bringing AAC in and maybe even touch on this. I, I hear this a lot. Well, is this going to stop my child or my student from, you know, building verbal language? What kind of like final words of wisdom or kind of touching on that, you know, decreasing the, the growth of verbal language um, can you share before we wrap up? Sure. Um, the answer to your question is very short. The answer is, <laughs> the answer is no. So <laughs> this has been studied and backed by research. Um, and I'm happy again to share any references for any listeners who are interested in reading more. But the research over the years has shown that introducing AAC 
has no zero negative impact on the production of functional speech. Um, what research has shown is that it has no impact or functional speech may improve. So if anyone is out there and listening and thinking that they don't want to introduce AAC because they have concerns that it will negatively impact, uh, nev- negatively impact functional speech, rest assured, there is nothing to be concerned about. AAC has no negative impact um, as proven by literature and research. And if parents ask that, look at that nice, short, and sweet answer you have right now. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much, Kate. Where can um, where can people go to learn more from you and more about you? Sure. Um, so I um, run a continuing education company called SLP Nerdcast, and it's a podcast and um, uh, we have webinars and live classes and master classes as well where you can earn certificates of participation. And it counts for most, t- for some states for teacher licensure, but they're honestly 50 states. I'm not sure if it counts for all, um, but all of our podcast episodes and live courses and webinars also count for ASHA CEUs. So if you know that an ASHA CEU counts or you're a speech pathologist, you can cruise on over there. We have a lot of courses related to AAC. We also have a lot of free downloads that might be relevant and helpful based on the conversation that we've had today. We have a communication partner form. We have some data sheets. We have environmental checklists for implementing AAC in a school setting. Um, And they're all free to download. So you can cruise on over there to learn more if that's helpful. Thank you so much, Kate. I so appreciate you joining us. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.